Welcome to Tilt Talk Radio. Today we are going to talk about protecting your soil through harvest. In our spotlight, we're going to look at some GMO mosquitoes. Egg History Minute, talk about the Agriculture Adjustment Acts of 1933 and 1938. Cool beans, that's corny. We have some current events. And you applied what? We're going to talk about some tillage. So with me today are Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. Bill Schomburg. Hey, guys. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. All right, so we got some choppers starting to roll, boys. It's exciting. Big day. Silage season. It's always fun when it starts. So A month ahead of last year or more? Yeah, oh, wait, or, or more. Or more is definitely, I mean, we're not even in September yet. Max, you <clears> said, <throat> you, we were talking yesterday in... When did you start your silage dry downs, and when did you end last year? So I pulled my first silage dry down last last year on August twentieth, and I I, I want to say I pulled my last one like November tenth. Whoa! <laughs> so, after Halloween, yeah. It was definitely after. It was after we had that big frost, like the first week of November. It was after that. I know that for sure. Even looking at our chipper shredder when we ran the roll this year, it was like, wow, we didn't clean it up last fall or anything. Well. It's yeah, because winter. <laughs> yeah, because it was like it we just was frozen. Done. Yeah, it was just time to be done. So yeah, it's quite um, a year. And we'll do all our silage samples in two weeks this year, three weeks maybe. Yeah, I mean it's going to be quick. Yeah, things are going to go fast. Especially, I mean, we some places have gotten rain, but we haven't had rain here for any significant amount anyway for a month. Yeah, it's odd that storm that went through Monday, Tuesday, and it just kept following the same path. Yep. All the way south, so of those the areas got two to five inches, and yeah, Ripon got four and a half. Well, Wapan got three or more, and yeah, yeah, and we got nothing. And, and I've never had a year where it's like, well, you might chop tomorrow, but if you get rain, it'll be a week. Yeah, you know, like it's just a matter of Friday's rain. If we, whatever we get that day might matter when you got to start your chopper or not. No. We had not had a measurable rainfall at our house since July 5th. We got six tenths this week. So we're getting big time. Ooh. Getting serious. You actually well, had to put your boots on. It was really since July what? July 5th. Wow. I thought it was later July, but that's unreal. Well, we, I mean, we've had everything we've had since then was less than a tenth. So sure. It's just I don't really, yeah. just enough to notice on the concrete. And even that, I don't, and we only had like two of those even. So it's been dry. I have seen more bean fields turning. The one behind your house, Max, is really yeah, good. That, that one's really, uh, it's really moving along. It's going quick. It helps when it's ninety degrees, and yeah, you know, we're not we're not used to beans like drying down in August. We're used to like, okay, it's October first. We might see some beans going out. Yep. So, and besides chopping, we've got hurricane activity going on. It looks like I don't think we'll have any blowback from this one, but. The way the path is looking, but Louisiana is going to be getting her. We're actually her right now, getting her right now. Yeah, she. They said 150 mile an hour winds at some point. Yeah, that's crazy. I I heard someone last week talking about the Iowa storms and saying it was worse than any of the hurricanes they had been through. So now naturally this week we have to have yeah, a hurricane, hurricane make landfall at a, as a Cat Four just to really, you know, one up. I was looking at Hurricane Harvey was a Cat Four. And Hurricane Katrina, those were the two I remember that were the biggest. That was a Cat 5. And they said of this one, like, was like 7 miles an hour more wind or something of that nature, it would be a Cat yeah, 5. Yeah, the Cat 5. Yep. So it's like... Yeah, the difference is 
usually like wind speed and a couple other things. So yeah, the difference from a Cat 4 to a Cat 5, like you said, 7 miles an hour. Oh, I'm sure that... Once the wind gets over 100 miles an hour, right. it doesn't really matter. Right. It's going to take whatever it wants. Right. Because what was the Iowa's Doreco winds? Was, that was like 150, wasn't it? About the same. Yeah, 150. Yeah. So those were straight line winds. At Cat 5. Cat 5 storm winds. So. Yeah, like I said. It's it's kind of like when it, in the winter, when it gets below like negative 5 to 10, you don't notice anything past that. When they're like, it's negative 20 with a wind chill of negative 40, you don't notice. It's cold. It's it's the same. Yeah, my face still just hurts. Yeah, I really don't. I really don't notice much past zero. If it's zero, anything past that, I, you you couldn't. It's just cold. Negative five to negative twenty, you can't tell the difference. It's the same. You're numb. It's fine. <laughs> I'd take that. Just over, don't fall asleep outside. I'd take that though over what's going on right now with the hurricanes and the destruction and all that. Right? We. I mean, you you see it coming and you don't change your daily life for cold. Where like hurricanes, they evacuate and mm. and you know all that kind of stuff. Well, you don't evacuate for cold. That's probably the worst thing to do is get in your car. Like right. that, is, that is the exact opposite of what you should do Drive when it's out negative twenty. I have a finite amount of gas, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. So at least at least I guess with a hurricane you can evacuate, and if you run out of gas at 200 miles, at least it's not like negative twenty. You can hang right. out there yeah. as long as the storm doesn't get that bad there so your heart goes out to those people though to evacuate during covid and yeah what do you do and how do you how do you operate and i mean it's just can you imagine trying to put everybody in the in the superdome right now sure. like, how that, like, like they did do you remember how i mean it was crazy when they did it for katrina can you imagine trying to do it right now what mm. that would look like or how wild that would be it wouldn't work yeah it's i think people would just go and just risk it like, I would, where else do I have to go? I think a lot of people would just be like, yep, well, this is what we're doing, so. 2020, just just leave us alone, yeah. please. please Have, haven't we had enough? Now placing bets for September. Yeah. What's next? Hopefully football. Hopefully. Hopefully. All let's, right. Are you guys ready to get going? Let's yeah, do let's, let's, let's do get, it. Let's get through this. So, protecting our soil through harvest. So, Max, this one was your subject for the day. So, what do we got? Yeah. So, we talked a lot about, like, um, we've covered a lot of different ways to to build soil health and what soil health means and that kind of stuff. And I think I think one of the most damaging times for our soil health is, is through the harvest season. And we can't control that all the time. But um, we can ca- kind of try and control a couple things. So, um, right off the bat, as best we can, which is I really like this wording, as best we can, avoid compaction. So harvest time is when we generally do the most damage and cause the most compaction. Um, uh, and, and and that's because crop harvest generally happens. Um, and no matter what the ground moisture is, we, we find a way to get through it. So last year we harvested all fall with six-inch rainfalls every week. You know, and I don't know about you guys, but I can still see everything from last fall. Every mistake we made is still very visible. Um, but I don't, was it a mistake? No, I shouldn't say mistake, but every, we had no, really you have no choice, right? I mean, as my dad, as my dad, my dad so eloquently puts it, you got to do something to cover your sins and we can still see our sins from last fall. I mean, we, that's a better way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We did what we had to do. It wasn't what we wanted to do. Right. Now we have to deal with the fallout. Yeah. Um, so 
I, I guess, um, you know, we're going to harvest regardless, but Bill, you were commenting this morning already that even though we're dry, you had guys talking about getting dump carts lined up because if it gets wet at all, they're just going to go straight to it. They're not going to fight it. They're, they're going to yep. stay ahead of it, which three years ago, you, that would have been crazy. But now we've had two full years of chopping hay with dump carts and making corn silage with dump carts. And it's become kind of, kind of the lifestyle now. And that hopefully that does reduce some compaction. I think it, definitely helps um helps and it helps you get across in a time in a in a timely manner because you're not stuck with a semi the the entire day so um like i said just trying to avoid compaction whenever possible um i know it's not not easy i would just bring it up max a mistake to me means like we knew better like oh we made a mistake we should have known better but it felt like last year we knew what we were doing yeah we just didn't have a choice of not yeah, options were limited. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and even farmers this year have told me, like, I can, you know, same what you were saying, Max, is we can see the fields that we didn't get handled good last year. The corn isn't very good this year. Whereas if it was a soybean field or maybe a hay field, it looks really good until we didn't get rain. But we can see them, and maybe we'll even see them next year. But good news about this year is as it's setting up today is hopefully we need some rain, but hopefully... We won't have to make those tough decisions about harvest when it's when the crop is ready, but the field is not ready, because the fields will be will be ready. That is the one bright spot I think of this year so far has been this spring. We had a pretty good window to get out, do what we needed to do, plant in relatively decent conditions before the rains really got heavy, and now you know we've hit this kind of dry period where you know you can get out. We got weed off, small greens, guys could get some manure out. You know, we're not in the same position we were last fall or the fall before where it's like, it just won't stop raining. We haven't been able to get anything out. You know, we've had windows now to accomplish other things. So we're less likely to to do these same issues or have these same issues this year. So So I guess guess the, the theme of this point or the, the kind of thought here is, Given the weather pattern that we're having right now, if you can wait a day because you just got a half an inch, I wouldn't be afraid to try and do it. Um, but if you can't, you can't. Um, it, it Corn silage has to be made, so cows got to be fed. So I, it happens, but that's definitely something to be cognizant of. Um, I guess the one of the, uh, another thing that we've been talking about a little bit is that it doesn't hurt to leave some residue. Um, I was talking with a guy last week, and he mentioned that he was thinking about chopping a little bit higher this year and leaving more stock material out there and how would that affect his soil health how much residue would that account for and it's a really hard thing to calculate but definitely chopping at 18 inches versus chopping at six inches you're going to have more residue left behind more more organic material into the soil so um if that works for you i think it's a good i think it's a good option i think it's a nice nice opportunity for you to add organic material to your soil there's a good trade-off there too, Max, with quality is yep. that they would achieve better quality as well most of the time. So that's a good thing to think about is I don't think chopping height in corn silage is as thought about as it should be. That maybe yep. you guys could think about, well, yeah, that field, I'm not going to go all the way to the ground. I'm going to leave a little bit more residue there on certain fields. Maybe they're further away from the farm. Um, don't see as much manure or are lower in organic matter or have some sort of soil health thing that you're trying to remediate is maybe those you chop a little higher 
um, you know, let that little bit more residue out there uh, would help a lot. Yep, absolutely. And and we talked this morning a little bit about, um, before we started recording, about how, you know, the bottom three feet of the plants right now are super dry and the, the tops are still super green. Maybe we have to bring up our cutting height just a little bit to kind of average out our moisture where we want it or, you know, to keep keeping that window where we want uh, our moistures ideally. So um, just another another thing to think about. Um, tillage for the sake of tillage is not a benefit to soil health. Yeah, when we've talked about that before, re- recreational tillage and you know, yep. working it just to work it, it's, it's just not something you need to do. After, so after you after you've rutted a field because we harvested wet, it does not pay to go out there and chisel plow it wet. You're just you're just compounding problems now. So, and even you know, if it's just certain areas where you're leaving ruts, you don't have to work the whole field. Just work yep. the areas where the ruts are. You don't need to. Once you get out there, well, oh, no, I just got this this rut straightened out and that rut straightened out. Oh, I, should, I should just do the whole you thing. You know, I might as well just do the whole thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. I got halfway crossed. It's kind of like me eating a pizza. Once you eat the first 10 pieces, the last two don't seem like such a big deal. <laughs> 10 pieces? How big of a pizza are you getting? I mean, I like They're cut- small pizzas. Yeah. yeah, small pieces. Are you doing you squares? Small pieces. Are you one of the square cutters, Max? No, you go, listen, <laughs> now I'm going to educate you. So the Grandma Betty School of Eating, you can eat as much as you want, but you make small pieces... That way you don't feel so guilty, A. And B, you can always take more, but you can't put it back. So you just make small pieces, and then you take a lot of them. Can't put it back. That's a good way good way to live your life. That's going to come back into some other episode, I'm sure, right? Mm-hmm. Somehow. Um, so, yeah. So so uh, last week, there was a guy doing some chisel plowing on some compacted ground that they had taken wheat off of. And he said, I've never seen dust come out behind a chisel plow before. And it was a, it was a very pleasant sight to see as the tractor is going with the chisel plow to have some dust. So um, definitely get, and, you know, we're out there checking it out and he's getting the good fractures that we're looking for. And, and so that's really good example of proper tillage and proper timing and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Some tillage does bring benefits to the soil and depending on, like you said, especially this fall, if we get the right conditions, we can hopefully fix some of the things from the last two years when it was too wet. So that's one thing to think about too is is there's a lot of times wet spring and fall conditions can leave us no choice but to do compaction. Then you got to decide when you're going to go out there and fix that compaction. And and picking the right tool for the job is important too. You know, is it where is the compaction? Find the compaction. Is it shallow? Is it deep? You know, do you need to deep rip it if it's not that I would deep? say this year's been hard to find that. Right. The soil's either been almost like too wet or too dry to use your compaction probe easily. And even that when I've, I don't know, when you've been trying to feel for that compaction layer, it's been tricky. There's been times where it's like, yeah, it's like 12 inches down, but in different spots it's been different. So I think it depends where you hit from wheel tracks last year. Um, I would add to that, Matt, the drone has been extremely helpful to find, you know, put the drone up about, you know, a month ago till now, and you could you could see the plant showing you what kind of compaction's out there, even if it, you know, from the ground you could kind of see it, but from the air you definitely can, can tell, you know, just by crop growth if you got some problems in that field or not. Yeah, and, it's not, not find a, hard to find the spots where the compaction is. It's just a matter of figuring out, yeah, how, how deep, deep you need to go. Mm-hmm. One cool thing we tried last year, um, actually it was a spring, I had a gentleman that was going to do that 
fracturing of the soil, the deep tillage, not the explosion of the surface, but just get down there. And it's kind of the same thing, like how do we find where the compaction layer was? And they actually put the piece of tillage in the ground and went 100 feet. And then we stopped and we kind of took a shovel and kind of dug around the, the shank itself. And then we could find the compaction layer just by working right next to the machine versus taking a pentrometer or soil probe or whatever in the ground and trying to poke it through where now you can't, I mean, just normal, normal soil sampling, we can't even get it in seven inches without finding a, next to a crack so it fractures into the crack and you get your soil sample that way. But So that would be another way to try to figure out where the compaction layer is, is take your tool, put it in the ground for whatever feet you decide, and then go right in that profile and you can find it there too. That seemed to work pretty good. Good. And our last, one of our last things to think about here is uh, monitoring manure rates to promote microbial activity. So obviously sometimes manure goes out because manure needs to go out and, and we're, you know, we're trying to get out as many gallons as we can for the crop needs for the following year or whatever. Um, but we have found that the the higher rates of manure generally don't promote microbial activity as much as the more moderate rates. Well, I think part of that too is you look at your saturation. We've been so saturated the last couple of years, um, and now we're super dry in some spots. So having that additional moisture, it it's the soil's capacity to to take it in. So you're you have to kind of adjust for the soil condition when you're when you have the time and this year we we do so far have the time to kind of manage manure instead of just having to get manure out and like you say in general manure is real is good for your soil it's going to help it no matter what but if we can dial that number in to where it's we're getting maximum benefit out of it that's the that's the key so i think the one thing too not to forget even in a dry year like this is is using your tram lines or your like follow one path with your harvest equipment trucks or whatever it is don't just even though it's dry let's not make silly choices when we leave fields with semi trucks or whatever it is let's still try to we're still going to do some compaction even if it's just minute so let's still even in a dry year let's focus on the the first pass always causes the most right. compaction so the more you're better off making lanes That's, which i know also and then you know, the next year you go, oh, that, you know, the headlands or certain lane areas are really beat up, but that's still better because you're not doing it over more area. So, well, so just yeah. what Matt was saying two minutes ago about chisel plowing just or deep ripping just the areas that are bad and not the whole field. Well, if you got two lanes and some headlands to work up, that's a 20 minute job maybe. Yeah. And you're doing 10% of the field. Whereas if, Guys are just driving wherever. Now you got the whole field to work up. And the more you can control that traffic and control where your compaction is, then you know the areas. You don't have to. You don't need a penetrometer or anything else to tell you where those areas are. You've you've planned them out. I mean, there's options there too. So you've heard the question multiple times. Do you want do you want moderate compaction all over or severe compaction in a small area? And I'm I'm for me, I'm going to say I'm going to take the small area. Because I can, f- yeah. I'll fight that small area and work right. with it. And then maybe if you can, maybe that small area becomes a poor productive, your poorest production spot in the field. Might not always work because that might be a wet hole, but 
maybe you can control that a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Matt, you've worked on Harvest Cruise and the rest of you guys, we've seen Harvest Cruise. Who's who's the guy that sort of is the is the head of that rodeo? Is it the chopper guy that's got to direct traffic? Like who's the traffic cop out there? That uh, should be kind of... I mean, usually it's the, the crew leader, so which is probably the guy in the chopper, uh, or it's the farmer. I mean, if the yeah, farmer... if it's a custom crew. Yeah. Custom crews, the farmer so a lot of times is in a wagon. And yeah, I've been in, in cabs before where the farmer comes over the radio and says, hey, I want you guys all to go out right here. Like, yeah. this is the out driveway, this is the in driveway. You know, it's what they want. If they don't tell the... The chopper guy, what they want, then we do. Then everybody what he does says. what's well, and or, then everybody drives what's easier. You know, right. like I mean, in high school geometry, you're taught the easiest way for me to be is straight line. a straight line. Yeah. So well, why am I going to go? Yeah, that's bad. You know, why am I going to go down that way and then that way? It's like, well, because that's better for the field. So, like you say, I think it it does come down to that person being like, hey, just this is what I want you to do. This is how you're going to harvest it, and I I don't. I'm sure most of the crews would be okay with following that as long as they knew what, what they should be doing. So. Right. You're paying the bills. So Yeah. And I've sat in choppers with farmers and they'll get on the radio and they'll say, okay, you're leaving the field. Next time when you come back, maybe it's a larger field, you're going to go to the farm. When you come back, you go in that driveway that's on the other road because maybe the field goes from road to road or something. Mm-hmm. Don't come in this driveway. You just came out because I'm going to be way over there. And now you're going to have to drive all the way through the field just to get to me, you know. So there, I think you're right, Todd. It's, it's, it's a communication thing because yeah. uh, even you see it where all of a sudden three trucks are following the chopper. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's okay maybe to have one following if you know he's going to be full soon. But it's times where these guys just get in and try to, you know, try to think you're trying to be quicker or, or manage better and it ends up being where you're driving over more of the field than you need to i don't i don't know why they make it so complicated just my grandma and grandpa always said just use hand signals <laughs> they, they, they stayed married for 57 years now or something like that so i mean just hand signals right i mean well I've, the middle <laughs> finger is kind of like the f word in general there's many uses and meanings to to that so sometimes it'd be hard to tell why you're getting the middle finger it's it's really like it's really something to see when there's a good harvest crew that has their their uh like their rhythm stuff together yeah. and they're they're flying i mean silage is coming in fast yep. and the pack tractors are on rhythm the trucks are in rhythm. The choppers are moving. It's, I mean, it's poetry in motion. Real, it it's really op- is. It's funny you talk about pack trackers. That's the opposite. There we want the compaction. Yeah, right. Those are the crew that you want to try to, like, avoid what they're doing. Maybe that's get every, maybe if you have an inch of the pile. Maybe if you have that employee that just likes recreational driving or whatever, yeah, maybe he should. That person's it. better on the packing tractor <laughs> than the dump cart or the wagon, right? Maybe we should tailor these workers to where they're best fit. Man, is there always that one guy in the crew that thinks he, like, doesn't listen on the radio and then also just drives wherever he wants or or doesn't have a radio? And then you got to, like, like hand uh, signals. Yeah, I, I think there's always, you get some of that where it's an, a new guy who's never driven a tractor in the crew before or, you know, you needed the extra driver or whatever. And you get the guy, like, Calling on the radio, where's the chopper? <laughs> and you know, you just know he's just driving across the field looking for it. Uh, it's over here. It's the big green thing, with the or boat, big yeah. yellow thing. You know, depending on what what brand it is. The ones I were we, crew I ran with was was green. So yeah, it's the big green thing shooting silage. Can't if you can't you find it. Like, where are you? What field are you in? <laughs> like, but 
There's one in every crowd. You gotta have one. You gotta you gotta have a cowboy to keep things interesting, you know. <laughs> All right. So there you go. Do your best to manage your traffic and help keep compaction out of your soil to protect the soil through harvest. And the best way to manage it is to prevent it from happening if you can, or at least control it. So now we're gonna move into our spotlight for today. So we kind of talked about this last week off air, the idea of trying to reduce populations of mosquitoes with genetically modified mosquitoes. So in Florida, they are going to release more than 750 million genetically modified mosquitoes in the Florida Keys over the next two years. So the idea is to help kind of manage diseases that are carried by mosquitoes by releasing these mosquitoes into the environment and hopefully reducing populations. So they have, uh, let's see, dengue fever is one they brought up. Zika, I know, is another one that they're trying to kind of keep down by managing the population. So they're all male and have a gene that prevent female offspring from surviving childhood. So basically, they'll breed with the females and then the females' eggs just won't hatch or will hatch and die. So yeah. When you guys said 750, when you told me this, you didn't say million after it. So I'm like, oh yeah, it's just like a little trial. 750 mosquitoes, that's what's in your backyard. So it's like, holy man. That's a lot of mosquitoes. It's a big it's a big step in in GMO processes. Well, yeah. and what's their goal to like we don't want to eliminate all mosquitoes, can we? Cuz then they well, that would mess up the food chain. Right. You got other animals that so eat them. So basically and, we're making mosquitoes that just don't that don't bite you. Well, th- these won't bite you. The females still will. They're all males. Yeah. So but yeah, the idea is they'll breed with the females and then the female it would take can't Eggs won't be viable. It would take hundreds of generations to completely eradicate the mosquitoes, and no, by the but... by the time you get that far, there's going to be new breeding stock working their yeah, way in. That's no, not... I, I agree. It just is interesting way to. It, I wouldn't think do this. It. I don't know how well this would work with like a larger animal that has a slower reproductive cycle, but with the with a mosquito, it's it's going to work a little bit better. Yeah. Where it's going to kind of level itself out. They're hoping for a temporary collapse of the population, but then yeah, obviously it'll. Kind of rebuild itself, and since the idea being that the eggs and the next generation doesn't survive, the ge- genetics won't carry into a new generation. So, <clears throat> right. So it basically dies off with that. But yeah. So every ten years, we have to release seven hundred fifty million genetically modified mosquitoes yeah. to control. It's not this this article, but I know I did see a different article that they refer to it as the Jurassic Park syndrome, where. You know, all the Jurassic Park dinosaurs were female, but then they started finding spontaneously changing gender and finding a way to breed. Uh, so there's there's that aspect of it, too, of, okay, what if some of them do survive? Like, they th- they're supposed to be sterile, but all of a sudden you do get them breeding, then what? Super mosquito. It's like, I think part of this is like that whole, like, everything 2020 has given us so far, and now we want to put all genetically modified mosquitoes. Like, these, uh, yeah, these lab seems... mosquitoes, like, everybody's like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. 
Do you think the person on the street will be as, uh, you know, won't like the GMO mosquito like they don't like, like... Probably. I think if you're anti-GMO, you you're anti-GMO. Yeah, there's more, more than likely going to be somebody who's going to have issue with it, so... It is interesting. Like, remember Jurassic Park, the life finds a way quote? Yep. Is that the... Is Goldblum say that? Yep, Jeff yeah. Goldblum, yeah. He's kind of the... Yeah, I wonder life, who the Jeff Goldblum uh, mosquito is. Mosquito finds a way. way. Yeah. Bill Gates. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Schomburg. No. Yeah, was there Bill Gates money in this? Because it seems like... I, that cool. I don't know. <laughs> Probably. Everything else is. It's a good chance. All right, let's move into our egg history minute. Gotta love the banjo. All right, so this week we're going to talk about the Agriculture Adjustment Acts of 1933 and 1938. So the first Agricultural Adjustment Act of 1933 was part of President Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. The act led to a reduction in crop surpluses and higher prices for agricultural products. The price supports paid directly to farmers and ranchers for crop reductions under the act, and the extra revenue generated by higher prices caused a 50% increase in farm income. This eased the burden of the Depression on rural America. Congress was had to replace the Agricultural Adjustment Act of 1933 with the Agricultural Adjustment Act of 1938, after the Supreme Court struck down the first act in 1936, USDA Secretary Henry A. Wallace, hey, there's a name we've heard before, called the act a new charter of economic freedom. The 1933 act had caused many people to worry about food shortage because we were paying farmers not to grow crops. The new act reassured consumers that adequate reserves of food would be maintained. And actually, they would take those reserves and that's where the school lunch program would come from and um food stamps came out of that too so providing surplus food to people who needed it especially with the bread lines and everything else in the depression era so there you go very cool it was neat that it cre- increased farm income i always one thing people get sick of me saying is but i always say that farmers will spend their money like you give you give farmers prices that they can pay their bills and and have a surplus they're not going to put the money in their pocket and run to vegas or whatever they do they're some of them might but they're going to spend it on equipment or buildings they're going to invest it they're going to invest it yeah yeah so i think if we keep the farm economy going and nowadays it affects so many things yeah. Cool. Well, good. If Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, go to naicc.org, and there you can find a crop consultant in your area. So we appreciate all the listeners out there. Please show a farmer friend how to download. Um, show them what a podcast is. Show them, you know, usually if you downloaded this, you're a little tech savvy and you kind of know what you're doing. So all you got to do is take your phone out and say, hey, do you got an Apple or an Android? And then uh, download whatever podcast player on their phone, and then they can download our podcast. So that's all we ask is that you tell a farmer friend. Matt, where can they follow us? Yep. So you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. All right. Now we'll move into Cool Beans. That's corny. So Cool Beans? Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. All right, bean prices continue to climb as our cool beans this week. $9 old crop beans for September as of 8.30 Wednesday night 
826-2020. So moving in the right direction. That's a great number to see, isn't it? A nine to start nine. off. We'll have $12 beans in no time. Don't jinx it. No, we're, I'm I'm just excited that things are moving. Even if it's slowly, it's moving. So that's what we've been asking for. Yeah, hopefully that trend will continue. Our That's Corny for this week is the University of Illinois projects negative returns for a near-record corn crop. Wah, wah. What, a, what a kick in the shorts that is. Like, hey, congrats. Your corn's really good this year. You're going to lose money. So projecting small return on beans and small losses on corn. Uh, and that's only if more USDA payments arrive. That was presented by Dale Latz, Farm Doc Research Associate, and Gary Schnitke, an extension ag economist at University of Illinois. So compared with drought-stricken and wind-blown Iowa counterparts, Illinois producers are well off. They're projecting yields of 270 bushels an acre for corn, 16 bushels above the trend, and soybeans may hit 64 bushels an acre. So they're they're going to get good yields, but apparently they had to buy them. So at least that's what the they're projecting. So it's crazy that the next paragraph down he talks about 233 bushel corn netting or grossing $746 an acre and and that's still going to lose you money right so obviously some land rent's pretty high and some other things in there I think uh, pretty much all of our farmers in our neighborhood would love an average of 233 bushel corn yeah that'd be that'd be ideal that'd be nice alright so it's back Max it's you. You applied what is here. What did you do? Oh, my God. The moment you've all been waiting for. All right, Max, what do you got for us? All right, so you applied what? Uh, soil health soil health edition. So we, we've done a you applied what with soil amendments before for soil health, but since our main focus today was on compaction and kind of tillage and how that kind of affects soil health, we're going to go with names of tillage tools. So I got four names for you here. One of them is not a real tillage tool as far as I can tell. There definitely could be something named after it, but as far as I can tell, I don't think there is one. So we have the Dominator, the Eco Claw, the Soil Master, and the Devastator. Well, I know Dominator is. That is one, yes. Yeah, Krauss makes the Dominator, yeah. It does dominate corn stalks. And that thing, that thing buries them. I'm going to go with Devastator. Yeah, I feel like that. Because I just feel like that would be bad. Sounds like the name of a some evil scientist. Sci- yeah, I think evil guy's ship or something from a movie or something. Todd, I'll, you go- I'll go with Eco Claw just to be different. Just to be different? Just because, yeah, if it is Devastator, though, that's almost... I don't know. Well, one of you is like, right, but also another one of you is right, and ooh. one of you is wrong. <laughs> so it was de- Devastator, Devastator is the odd one out. <laughs> Could you imagine if you named it the, the Devastator? It'll destroy all I your mean, soil structure. I mean, it's not like Dominator's a real warm uh, and fuzzy name either. No, but Devastator is like another level. Like, Dominate, you're still there. It's just holding you down <laughs> the, versus Devastator, Devastator. You're, you're gone. It's just done. You're done. Yes. After you use the Devastator, corn stalks don't appear for the next three years. Some some feels we might want that. Yeah, I, I, just, 
I uh, just so you guys know, we are under a a uh, severe weather watch here mm-hmm. now. So we they heard us talking about hurricanes, and now we're under a severe weather watch. It's, I think it's just starting to rain outside the Tilt Talk Radio. The first official yep. rain at Tilt Talk Stu- Studios International. Yay. Yes. <laughs> but I can see the sun off into the distance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It doesn't seem like it'll last long, depending which way it comes. it's coming from, though. It's coming from the north northwest there. So, Cool. All right. Well, that'll do it for today, guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Don't so, devastate your soil, Matt. That's right. Protect your soil through harvest. That's what we talked about today. In our spotlight, we looked at the GMO mosquito that they're releasing in Florida. Ag History Minute, we talked about the Agricultural Adjustment Acts of 1933 and 1938. Cool beans, that's corny. Cool beans was bean prices are continuing to climb. That's corny was negative returns are expected in Illinois for the near record corn crop. And you applied what? We talked about some tillage tools and Devastator is not one. And it's definitely not what we want to do to your soil. So it's a good thing. Thanks for listening. And as always, happy farming.